We, you, myself, we were made for more than that. And as we've looked at the last two weeks and then today, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, how the Apostle Paul shows us that you and I have been made for more. The first two chapters, in the first week we talked about that God created us, what our identity is in Jesus Christ, and how that we aren't, don't need to be our old selves, that we can get past our sin, that we can come to faith in Christ, and that He makes us a, a new creation. He actually turns us into even a masterpiece um, of design, and that you have a purpose. Last week, Pastor Brian here shared how you have been made to love more, that God loves you, and in turn, you are then to love others. And this week, we're going to continue that theme as we look at Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to read a few verses in Ephesians chapter 5, and I believe we'll be beginning with verse, I think it's 15. Sometimes technology fails, fails me. So. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in these verses, challenges the church at Ephesus that they are made for more, that you've been made with a purpose, and that you shouldn't just live your life like a fool. Last night at our, our Baltimore campus, we meet at the coffee shop there. And so we can actually have a little bit of a dialogue, and I asked them, what, what does it mean to live like a fool? And I got some great info to, to add to my message for this morning. Talked about living carelessly, not thinking about the future, not worrying about tomorrow, just living for the now, living for pleasure. Don't live like a fool, the Apostle Paul says. Instead, we need to be wise. We need to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us. And he finishes with this idea, understand what the Lord wants you to do. I think it's important for us to, to recognize that we have been made for more, that we have been made for a purpose. And one of the issues in the church, I think, over the last 50 or 60 years, is that we have talked about ministry and being called to ministry in these terms. How many of you um, have kind of grown up in the church world, and maybe you went to like a camp meeting or a camp or a revival service of that kind? I'm just curious, how many in here? All right, about half of us, all right? So if you're in that group, you've probably heard a preacher at some point in time talk about being called. Are you called to ministry? And if he talked about it or she talked about it, there were probably three things that they talked about you being called to. They said, are you being called to be a pastor? Are you called to be a missionary? Or are you called to be an evangelist? And as a teen, I felt God call me to ministry. At that time, I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't think it was going to be a pastor, or at least I didn't want it to be a pastor. I didn't think it was an evangelist, and I kind of hoped it would be a missionary because I felt a pool. I, I was able to go to uh, Peru as a teenager, and I loved being in that nation, and the people there were phenomenal, and I thought, God, I think you want me to be a missionary. But 
as you can see, God had other plans, and I'm okay with that. But my friends, they were there, they experienced it, they prayed, and they said, you know, I don't feel God calling me to any of those things, so apparently God's not calling me. And unfortunately, we've missed it in the church, we've missed it over the last 40, 50, 60 plus years, that every single person who is called to be a disciple of Christ is called to ministry. Did you know that? If you're a follower of Christ, if you've accepted him to your life, received him, confessed your sin, and professed to be a disciple of Jesus, you're called to ministry. Now, he might not have called you to be a pastor or an evangelist, but I do think, in a general sense, God calls each and every one of us to be a missionary. Do you understand what you are to do? Jesus, as he was leaving the disciples and leaving actually a group of 500 he gave what we call the Great Commission. It's his last words while he was here on earth. And I don't know about you, but if it's somebody's last words, I would assume those must be pretty important to them. Would you not assume that as well? And so what were Jesus' last words? He said to his disciples and those gathered, the 500 gathered around, he said, go and make disciples. Those were his last, basically last words. There's more to it and we'll get to that later, but he said, go and make disciples. And he wasn't just talking to the 12 or 11 men gathered around. He was talking to everyone that was there. If you are a follower of Christ, you are called to make disciples. But the problem is, many of us have not really been told that. Many of us have not really been equipped to do that. We as pastors, we as the church have failed you so often because we have not helped you understand and recognize that you are called and you have a mission, you have a purpose as we talked about two weeks ago, we, were, we talked about being called or that we are made for more. We were made to be more. Last week, we talked about we were made to love more. And this week, I believe the message for us is that we were made to go more, that we have to get outside the four walls of the church. On July 2nd, 1982, a man who became known as Lawn Chair Larry did something that most of us would call foolhardy or foolish. He had purchased, I believe it was 47 weather balloons, approximately four feet in diameter. He also purchased a lot of helium. He filled these balloons, tying them to a lawn chair he had bought, apparently a very nice lawn chair, might I add, for about $100, tied them to the lawn chair, and the lawn chair was attached to his truck. Once he got himself into the lawn chair, he belted himself in, And he had his friends cut the ropes or untie the ropes so that he could lift off and take off in his makeshift airplane of sorts. He expected to rise somewhat gradually, but didn't count on the fact that with 47 weather balloons, he pretty much shot up in the air very rapidly. In preparing for the journey, he brought with him basically, I believe, four items. He had brought with him a CB radio, he brought with him a pellet gun, some sandwiches, and a six-pack of beer. He was ready for an entire day's fun. So Larry, not the cable guy, but Larry the lawn chair guy, ends up going up and up and up and up to a peak altitude of over 16,000 feet. Any of you that can do math, you might know that's more than three miles straight up. (laughs) Well, 
being in a, a device that he couldn't control other than allowing the wind to blow, he floated into the path. He was in California. I think it was San Pedro, California. He floated towards Los Angeles. In fact, he floated right into the incoming traffic of Los Angeles International Airport. And some pilots radioed in, trying to figure out how to describe what they were witnessing in the air as they zoomed by. Eventually, Larry's device brought him back down to the ground. He got tangled in some power lines. Fortunately, he wasn't injured, and he was able to climb out. However, immediately, who greeted him were, were SWAT officers from the Los Angeles Police Department, and he was promptly given a citation in the amount of $4,000. <laughs> they tried to find some other ones, but there was really nothing on the books for uh, going up in a lawn chair with, with weather balloons. So they were only able to find him for the fact that he impeded air traffic to the airport. But they talked with Larry, reporters, and, and I'm sure some of this has kind of grown a little bit in, in legend on the internet, although I tried to research these details, and, and I think pretty much all the ones I've told you are relatively factual. But it's been reported that when Larry was asked, first of all, he was asked if he would do it again, and he said, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do that again. But when they asked him, why did you do that? He said, I was tired of sitting around. I was tired of seeing my neighborhood from one perspective. I just wanted to see it from a different perspective. I was tired of just sitting around. And I wonder how many of us in the church, and I honestly, I got goosebumps as Colin was talking earlier because he doesn't know my message. He didn't see it. And I'm like, he's preaching my message for him. I can like go shorter now because he's preaching part of my message. I wonder how many of us have a sense that there's something more than simply showing up to church one, once a week for an hour, or today it's probably going to be more like an hour and 15 minutes. Sorry about that. Uh, there's something more for you than simply coming to church or, or simply volunteering, although, hey, we always need volunteers, and please do volunteer uh, to help with children's ministry or youth ministry or the different things. We need that. But there's something more than simply coming to church, church once a week. And I believe if we're going to take Paul's words seriously this morning, if we're going to really begin to understand what our purpose is, what we are called to do, and more specifically, where we are called to go, there's going to have to be four convictions that you and I, that are in the church specifically, we have to have. Too often we worry simply about how many show up on a Sunday morning but if we are going to listen to the Apostle Paul's words, if we're going to take seriously that we need to leverage all the opportunities that we have for the kingdom, for the good of the kingdom, then we have to take seriously these four, what I would call, game-changing convictions of the church. The first game-changing conviction is that evangelism and discipleship making is the core calling of the church. That evangelism and discipleship is the core calling of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, again, the Apostle Paul said, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And so the question is, what does the Lord want you to do? Well, I referred to it earlier in the Great Commission. 
Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Notice Jesus didn't say, Go out and plant churches. Go out and have amazing worship services. Go out and put on fantastic events in your community. He didn't say, Go out and do all kinds of good things in your community. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things, but what should be the core conviction, what should be the core thing that we as the church are about? Jesus gave it to us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and he called the first disciples, do you know what he said to them? He said, Come, follow me, and notice, I will make you, or show you how to fish for people. New Living Translation. I will show you how to fish for people. The call to come and follow Christ, the call to be a disciple, is also a call to make disciples of others. And in the church, over the last, my lifetime, I've heard it talked about. We've given lip service to it. But at the end of the day, when pastors get together, do you know what number they talk about? Do you think they say, hey, how many many disciples do you have getting together in your church? No, they don't say that. They say, how many people do you have on a Sunday morning? And so pastors, many of us are just as guilty as everyone else that we've not recognized or put the emphasis where it needs to be. We don't have the core conviction that evangelism and disciple-making is the core calling of the church. And that's one of the things that we here Together Ministries have been talking about. I've been talking with our pastoral staff, and I believe God has been leading us towards that we have to be a church that is all about making disciples. I would much rather, as Colton shared, I'd much rather have you making a difference in people's lives and making disciples than simply showing up here for an hour a week. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have you here. But we need to be about making a difference in the kingdom. Are we about evangelism and disciple-making? The second core conviction I want us to think about this morning, or I believe that we're going to have to have if we're really going to be a church that goes more, is that most people today have to be reached outside of the church. Most people today have to be reached outside the church. It might have been different 50 or 60 years ago, or even 200 years ago. But today in North America, if we are going to reach people for Christ, it's going to happen in the marketplace. It's going to happen in our communities. It's going to happen as neighbors get together. It's not going to happen in the church like it did 50, 60, 70 years ago. We have to recognize if we're going to be a church that goes more, if we're going to be a church that is all about discipleship, then we are going to have to get outside the walls of our church most people today have to be reached outside of the church. One of the interesting things is you look at the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there are 40 miracles that take place. 40 miracles. And do you know how many of those happen, quote-unquote, in a church setting or inside the church versus outside the church? 40 miracles. One of them happens in the church. 39 happen outside the church. You see, the Holy Spirit can work outside the church. The Holy Spirit can do an amazing thing in your workplace, can do an amazing thing at your school, can do an amazing thing at the ball fields in your community. The Holy Spirit takes, I think, special pleasure in doing things outside of the church. 
Jesus himself told a story, actually three of them, and all of them were about the importance of finding lost things. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus begins to tell a story because the people around him were getting upset. The Pharisees and the the scribes, the religious leaders, they were angry that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And so Jesus told them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, wouldn't he not take the 99 that he has and leave them and go search for that one? You got to recognize the context. Sheep were a part of the family, so to speak. Shepherds knew their sheep by name. It wasn't just like if you had a hundred dollars and you misplaced one dollar, and you know we might be like, okay, where is it? Well, all right, it's not the end of the world, right? I have ninety-nine other ones. No, a shepherd knew each of their sheep by name, and so if one was missing, they were going to go find that one sheep. And so Jesus tells the story that the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep and eventually finds the sheep and and brings the sheep back. And when he arrives back with the other 99, he goes and tells his friends and neighbors and says, come rejoice. Why? Because the sheep that was missing, I found it. It's back. And Jesus says something that I think should cause us a lot of pause in the church. Jesus said this way, said this way, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't stayed away. Do you know what brings pleasure to to heaven? Do you know what brings pleasure to God? When a sinner who was lost is now found and becomes a part of the kingdom of God. That's what brings God great joy. That's when heaven celebrates and rejoices. But too often as the church, we think that what God wants is what we've just done today. And as Colin said, it's great. I love it. I need it. I need to be a part of the body of Christ, worshiping together, praying together. All of these things are fantastic. And please, we would love to pack this place out and have to go to two services or three services. But you know what brings heaven the most joy is when a sinner accepts Christ and is set free from their sin, is set free from the bondage that sin is and death. Jesus goes on to illustrate more. He said, suppose there was a woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she put a light up on the mantle and clean her house and look everywhere she can until she finds it? And when she finds it, she's going to go to her neighbors and say, come rejoice with me because the coin that was lost has now been found. And just in case the people around were slow and didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say, he's like, okay, let me tell you a third story. I've already told you about a lost sheep, told you about a lost coin, but maybe this will help bring it home. Suppose there's a man who has two sons, and his one son says, Father, you haven't died yet. I really just like my inheritance now while I'm young. And so his father, with sadness, gives him his inheritance, and the son goes off to a foreign country lives a lavish life, has all kinds of friends as long as he had money. But when the money ran out, so did the friends and so did the fun. And then there was a famine. And the young man was forced to try to find a job, and the only job he could find was to slop pigs for a pig farmer. And in fact, life was so rough that part of his food or the only way he could survive was to eat the food that he fed the pigs. I don't know if any of you have been around a pig farm or not, but I have, and trust me, 
There's a lot of things I would do first before doing that. It didn't get any lower for a Jewish man than to be working with pigs and eating their slop. He finally came to his senses and realized, even my father's servants have it way better than this. I know I've ruined my relationship with him, but I'll go back and just try to be a servant. And so he goes back, but in the distance, the father has been watching and waiting, looking and hoping for the day his son would return. And when he sees him, it says the father didn't just wait for him, like, I knew you'd come home. No, it says he ran to him, embraced him, had his servants bring and put shoes on his feet and a robe and a ring on his finger, all symbols of sonship, that his son was welcomed back into the family. And then he says, let's kill, let's kill the, the fatted calf, bring all the neighbors, and what are we going to do? We're going to celebrate, we're going to party, because my son who was lost is now found. You see, that's how, kingdom, that's how the kingdom of God works. That when one lost person is found, we all celebrate. When one lost person is found, heaven rejoices. But too often we've gotten too focused on the 99 that we have, and we've forgotten that God is a little bit more concerned with the one that hasn't been reached yet. The question for us, the question for our pastoral staff, our, our leadership team, our board, and even each and every one of you sitting in this church today or even those of you watching online, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that reaching one lost person out there is more important than what happens in here? If we did, it would change the way we go about living our lives. Jesus went on and said some things that I think bring us to a third conviction that we have to have in the church if we're going to go more. And it's that the the expansion of the kingdom centers on raising up and sending out, not gathering and counting. I've already talked about that in different ways, but we have to be about raising up and sending out. We have to see ourselves as everyday missionaries. You can do it. I won't say who it is, but there's somebody I know who I would have 10 years ago, never dreamed they would have done that. But in talking with somebody at their work, the person mentioned something, they, they began to bring up faith. And in bringing up faith, they eventually had the person start reading the Bible. And then they have conversations about it during lunch. You can do it. You don't have to have a theological degree to be able to share your faith with somebody and tell them what God has done in your life. One of the saddest things I, I read recently, a study was done and over 90% of evangelical Christians cannot remember the last time that they were a part of somebody accepting Christ as their Savior, of somebody being saved outside of their family member. Over 90% of evangelical Christians, people who call themselves followers of Christ, cannot remember the last time that they've been a part of somebody coming to faith in Christ. Just think about it. What if every one of us in this room in the next 12 months, led one person to Christ. That w- those numbers would just blow away the average in our, in our culture. Studies actually show that only 20% of churches today are growing. The other 80% are either plateaued or in decline, with most of them actually being in decline. And of the 20% of churches that are growing, only one of them, only one of them is growing because of salvations, and not because of transferring sheep from other churches. That's why the church in America is in such a sad state. 
We've forgotten how to make disciples. We've gotten pretty good at having really good worship services. We've gotten good at music and video and, and all kinds of things, and those things are great. I don't know about you, but I, I really like good music. Anybody here like good music? Enjoy that? Absolutely. But we've gotten good at those things, but along the way we've forgotten that it's about making disciples of Christ. It's about the one who is lost being found in heaven rejoicing and us rejoicing and partying as well. You see, the Holy Spirit replaced Jesus, and that was actually a good thing. Jesus could only be with one person or maybe a group, a multitude, I guess, technically, but he could only be in one place at a time. Instead, Jesus said, I'm going to be leaving, and it's a good thing. And I bet his disciples, when they heard that, were like, whoa, what do you mean you leaving is a good thing? That, we've watched you do miracles. How is that possible? Jesus says, no, I tell you the truth in John 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. I mean, like Jesus ever lied, right? He always told the truth. But when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that's like, hey, really pay attention because this is absolutely 100% true. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing to say. Jesus said, no, it's good. I'm going to leave. That's okay because you're going to do even greater things than I did. I mean, this is the person who raised people from the dead, who, who fed 5,000 plus people with a few fish and a few loaves. Jesus says, no, it's good I'm going away. You're going to do even greater things. What did he mean by that? He meant that the Holy Spirit would come and fill each and every believer, and that each and every believer would then have the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be a missionary in the world. You have a group of just a few hundred, or even if we start with Pentecost in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes and they go out and preach, on that first day, the church started with 3,000 people. And over the next 50 to 100 years, the church around the world exploded to literally millions and millions of followers of Christ. And today, just 2,000 years later, there are more than 2 billion people on planet Earth who call themselves Christians. You see, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and touching other people's lives that greater things happen collectively as we all allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. If we're going to really be a church that goes, if we're really going to be a church that gets outside the four walls, we have to have that conviction that disciple-making and evangelism are a core principle, are at the core of what we need to do. We need to recognize that most people today have to be reached outside of the church. we got to understand that the expansion of the kingdom centers on raising up and sending out, and that's a difficult thing. But all through the church's history, what have we done? We've raised up missionaries and we've sent them out, but we used to think missionaries were only for Africa or South America or China, or somewhere far distant. And what we missed along the way is that each and every one of you who's a follower of Christ, you're a missionary to your workplace. You're a missionary to your neighborhood. You're a missionary to your supermarket. I loved it. If some of you may have caught it or heard it when Pastor Brian shared the week after we talked about doing something like that, he actually had the opportunity to pray with somebody in a supermarket. That is an amazing thing. What if each of us leveraged the opportunities that God put in front of us for the good of the kingdom. Finally, this morning, we're going to wrap up with this. Life in the world only comes through death in the church. Life in the world only comes through death in the church. Jesus in John 12, 24 said this way, I tell you the truth, 
Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. You see, that's what we have to be about as, as a church. I'm not going to be satisfied as the lead pastor of Together Ministries if we have 150 people here, but the 60 people we added all came from other churches. So what? All of the churches are really God's churches, right? It doesn't matter if... It, I mean, there are a few ones that I would put outside of that, but the vast majority of churches around here are pretty solid, good Bible-preaching churches. And so what if we do things a little better and a few people come? I mean, of course, we'd welcome him into our fellowship, but what if... The people that were here were people that you and I shared the gospel with and who were set free from their sins and who were made alive and we would have baptism services every month because so many people were getting saved. That's the type of church I want to be a part of and I believe that's the church that some of you want to be a part of and I believe that God is calling all of us to more. Recognize that we've been made more, that he loves us and and that we can love others more and that ultimately we need to go more. Let's get outside of the four walls of the church. But as Jesus said, it requires that the death of a kernel or the death of a seed for there to be a harvest. In my hand, I have some sunflower seeds. I was looking for seeds, and a lot of seeds are very, very tiny, right? Most seeds that you plant, tomato seeds, all kinds of, they're very tiny. Sunflower seeds are a little bit bigger, so I was hoping that maybe you could kind of see them. Out of this one sunflower seed, if it was planted before it was roasted, if it was planted, grew into a sunflower plant, and then that plant was harvested, how many seeds do you think there would result from this one seed? Most sunflower plants produce between one and 2,000 sunflower seeds from one. But for this one seed to be more, for this one seed to turn into something more, it has to die. It has to be put in the ground, and in a sense, its life is over. But in doing so, it gives birth so that more than a thousand of these will come from it. In a similar way, Jesus himself had to die so that there could be life for all, that there could be life for you and I. And I think if we're going to reach our communities, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, that means that we in the church, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the old ways of doing things or even die to the way we want things. Church, it's not about the way we want them. It's about how can we reach people with the message of the gospel, how can they have their lives transformed through Jesus Christ, and then how can we go about discipling them to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's what success is. When we as a church begin to make disciples who make disciples, when we're obedient to what God has really called us to do, that is success. And so this morning, as you leave, I'm going to have somebody by the door with a bag of sunflower seeds. And if you would like to take one or even a handful, you're welcome to do that as just a reminder today that what I think we are called to be is like a seed and say, God, plant me wherever you would plant me. I will die to to what I want and my desires. And when I do, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe there will be a harvest. You see, the issue in the kingdom, Jesus didn't say there's not enough wheat fields. Jesus didn't say there's not enough lost people. When he talked to his disciples, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. Pray that there'll be enough workers to go out. 
Because the, plent- the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've got to turn it around. The church isn't about having a pastor, or if you're very fortunate like we are, having two or three or four. The church is about each and every one of us being everyday missionaries to where we live, we work, and we play. And then on Sunday, we come back together and we celebrate what God is doing in and through each and every one of us. And we gain encouragement to go back out and share the love of Christ this coming week. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask that you go ahead and bow your head. I'm just going to give you a moment and ask that God would speak to your heart. Are you, as the Apostle Paul talked about, are you using your life? Are you living carefully? Are you leveraging the opportunities that, that God is giving you, the people that he's putting across your path? <clears throat> are you willing to, to die to yourself? Are you willing to be like a seed that's planted so that there will be a, a harvest that is a hundred times, a thousand times, or even more? I believe God wants to do great things through our church. But when I say that, I'm not talking about the pastors. I'm talking about each and every person that makes up our church. God wants to do a great thing through you because you have been made for more. And it's because of what he has done for us, as Colton shared earlier. It's not anything that I've done, anything that you've done. It's what God has done in us. Father, this morning, as I I pray, I I hope the Holy Spirit, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts. Father, may we be a church that gets outside these four walls. May we be a church that leverages the opportunities that we have for you, for the kingdom, that we look for that one who is lost because heaven rejoices more over the one who's been found than the 99 that have already been found. Father, I just thank you for your love for us, how you never give up on us, how you never fail us. Father, I know many of us are intimidated. We think, well, I don't know enough. I don't have the right words. What if somebody asks me a question I don't know? But the promise with the Holy Spirit in our lives is that the Holy Spirit will speak through us, that we can just share what you have done in our lives and we can say, you know what, let's discover that answer if we don't know something. You know what, I'll I'll look it up or or I'll, I'll ask somebody. Father, I pray that we would get over our fear, our trepidation, and instead we'd recognize that too many people are headed to an awful place that we call hell. And we might be the only person that gets to share the good news of Jesus with them. Help us to have the boldness to do that. Father, may we be a church that is all about making disciples who make disciples. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.